WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and in this episode, we're talking about anxiety and depression in children and teens. According to the CDC, more than 9 million kids between the ages of 3 and 17 struggle with anxiety. More than 4 million battle depression, and that was before the COVID-19 pandemic. Since then, increasing numbers of young people have reported feelings of sadness or hopelessness, and anxiety has been on the rise as well. It's a growing problem, but there are lots of ways to help kids who are struggling to regain their footing and feel better. Our guest is Isabella DiBilio, a licensed professional counselor and clinical psychology specialist at Geisinger. Isabella, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. Thanks so much, Tracy. So in your experience, how has the pandemic affected the mental health of kids and teens that you see? I definitely think that the pandemic exacerbated, you know, the mental health struggles we were already seeing in children and teens pre-pandemic. So anyone who had, you know, any level of vulnerability going into the pandemic um, likely saw more symptoms throughout the pandemic, especially due to the isolation um, and being away from, you know, their normal routine and school. So now what we're kind of doing is, you know, making up for that lost time and helping kids, like you said, find their footing um, in regards to their mental health as as the pandemic, you know, comes to an end or hopefully. And what does that look like, Isabella, in terms of helping them find their footing? What are some of the things that you're doing? So one of the things that is most important, and especially for me, you know, as a therapist, is to help kids learn how to uh, build their coping skills toolbox and help build emotional regulation skills. So, you know, kids are feeling so many different emotions and having so many challenging thoughts. And a lot of our work um, at Geisinger is helping those kids to figure out what am I feeling And what do I need? How do I deal with this in a healthy way? Um, And turning to healthy coping skills rather than, you know, unhealthy, dangerous coping. And I want to unpack that idea of the toolbox and, you know, the coping skills in just a couple of minutes. But a couple of things before that. First of all, how big a factor do you think that socioeconomics is when it comes to the mental health of children? Do you see a correlation there? Absolutely. I mean, mental health is like physical health, is so dynamic. Um, There are so many pieces to the puzzle of, you know, what makes kids vulnerable to these disorders. Um, And oftentimes, how I explain it to children and parents is there's a nature-nurture component. Um, So part of it is, you know, chemical and out of our control, um, beyond our environment, and then a big part of it is our environment and, you know, where, where we are and what resources we have. Um, so socioeconomic status absolutely has an impact on 
mental health and mental health outcomes. And I want to talk now about anxiety specifically, and we'll get to depression in a bit. But can you talk a little bit about the difference between sort of, quote unquote, normal childhood worries that most kids will experience, and then the kind of worry that's more problematic and maybe starts to interfere with their quality of life? Absolutely. So, you know, of course, we all have anxiety. um, And there is a healthy level of anxiety. And that's what keeps us motivated. And um, without that piece, you know, that wouldn't be healthy. But where we start to see anxiety become an issue is when it's causing um, a problem in our functioning or an impairment in our functioning. So we're starting to see anxiety potentially, you know, negatively impacting home and family life, negatively impacting school and academics or um, your social life and friendships. So when that worry becomes, you know, a most of the time or an everyday thing, where it's making it hard for you to, you know, concentrate in school and have healthy relationships, that's when we realize, okay, there's, we might need more help here. And anxiety can show up in lots of different ways, as you know. I mean, there's general anxiety, there's social anxiety, you know, panic disorder, OCD. What do you typically see in your younger patients? I mean, what type of anxiety do you see? Absolutely. So, you know, most patients present with generalized anxiety um, to start at least. Um, You know, generalized anxiety is diagnosed pretty easily with, you know, those basic checklist of anxious symptoms. Um, Then on top of that, often we are seeing, especially I think the pandemic had a lot to do with this, um, social anxiety is very common in addition to generalized anxiety. Um, Also separation anxiety in those younger children. Um, you know, COVID babies or COVID toddlers, as we call them, um, were so used to being at home with their parents. So now that they are getting, you know, pushed back into schools, um, we're seeing a lot of that separation anxiety in the younger ones as well. Um, And then with teens, social anxiety is definitely on the rise. How big a role do you think social media and screen time plays in anxiety with kids? I absolutely think that it has um, a a very big impact, um, you know, on top of just the pandemic, because social media is, you know, such a major part of our world now, um, kids are feeling immense pressure to fit in, you know, that social pressure, what are, are they living up to the standards of what they're seeing on social media? Um, they're spending more time on their, on their phones, on YouTube, on different apps, uh, playing video games, um, and this all plays into um, to creating more anxiety for kids. And, you know, that pressure on them is definitely not helping their already anxious symptoms. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, kids who are maybe being trolled on social media. Mm-hmm. There's certainly, you know, online bullying to think about. Um, and also just kind of the availability of scary information that maybe kids don't have the wherewithal to contextualize for themselves. Definitely. And that's something that I, you know, kind of preach to my patients that I work with is, you know, of course, social media is a big part of our life now, but try to use it in healthy ways. Um, So, you know, follow accounts that have helpful information and, um, you know, try to surround yourself with positive influences because there are so many negative influences out there. Yeah. I'm curious, Isabella, does it does anxiety show up differently in boys versus girls? 
I'd say it's a pretty universal experience um, for boys and girls. I think that, unsurprisingly, boys are a little bit more hesitant to talk about it and be able to identify it um, than girls are. And, you know, that's just how kind of society's always been. So I definitely still see that impact of, you know, boys aren't as comfortable talking about their feelings. Um, But I do see that starting to change. Um, And, you know, parents being more willing and knowledgeable about seeking help for both boys and girls, um, the, the way that they're experiencing anxiety is very much the same. Yeah. You know, I was listening to a podcast not long ago where the speaker made a distinction between internalized anxiety in kids where they struggle inwardly Mm -hmm. and then externalized anxiety where they exhibit negative behaviors outwardly. And I'm wondering if you can address that externalized anxiety. You, You touched on it a moment ago, but I'm interested in how maybe that can be mistaken for like a behavioral issue or something else where it's not recognized for what it really is. Oh, definitely. Um, There is such a behavior piece to it. And oftentimes what we'll see is, you know, kids acting out um, in certain ways. And these are often, you know, uh, attention-seeking behaviors. And it's because they have a need that's not being met. So there's this unmet need. Kids are exhibiting these behaviors to get attention and essentially looking for help and looking for ways to figure out how do I deal with what I'm feeling. Um, So sometimes it can be, you know, mistaken for um, for poor behaviors, but really it's just, you know, looking for help to help feel better and help figure out what what am I feeling and what do I do with these feelings? Yeah. And for a parent, that can be tricky because it can just look like the child is acting out or, you know, oppositional defiant disorder, I think it's called that, you know, a child maybe can be misdiagnosed because it just doesn't look like anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Is anxiety something that kids can outgrow or does it tend to get worse over time if it's not addressed? It can definitely get, you know, anxiety can increase if it goes, you know, untreated. Um, So we want to be able to identify it as soon as possible um, and then start, you know, teaching those skills and helping kids, um, you know, learn how to healthily deal with their anxiety. Um, And when they do learn those skills and practice them and implement the things that they're learning, we can see very positive changes and all of those symptoms decrease um, to a point where, you know, their anxiety is not impacting their functioning any longer. Um, And it's something that they can just live with. Um, However, if, you know, it's not being treated, it can absolutely continue to grow and get worse. And before we get to those skills, Isabella, I want to ask about anxiety and depression. Can they be flip sides of the same coin? And can a child potentially be diagnosed with both? Yes, it's actually very common. Um, Most of my patients with anxiety also have some symptoms of depression and vice versa. Um, So they are very intertwined, um, likely seen together, and and there's a lot of overlap in the two as well. Yeah. Well, you you said it a moment ago that the good news is that anxiety is highly treatable. And you talked about a toolbox. You talked about skills um, that kids can develop to help them feel better. So let's talk a little bit about that. What do parents need to know, teachers, coaches, to help kids develop these kinds of skills that can help them ultimately begin to feel better? 
Yeah, sure. So I think that the first thing is to, you know, be able to identify these kids who we know need more, a little more help. Um, so you're going to notice, you know, the kids who are worrying more, who are more on edge, who are, you know, feeling sad and, and withdrawn a bit. Um, so being, you know, watching and seeing and identifying those kids is the most important thing first. Um, because as we know, kids don't always, you know, feel confident enough to actually ask for help themselves. Um, and then once we do identify, you know, those children who might need more support, be inquisitive, try to understand where it's coming from, ask them how they're feeling, ask them why, um, what does it look like? How does it feel? What are they thinking? What are their triggers? Um, and really try to understand where the child is coming from, because until we identify more specifics, it's hard to then identify, you know, what will be the best tools and what do they need? Um, so being, you know, uh, trying to come from an understanding standpoint with these kids and having conversations with them is first line of defense before we get into the more specifics. Yeah. And then having done that, what are some general tools um, that parents need to know about to help their kids? Or what have, what are some of the things that you do when you're working with a young patient to help them maybe change the way that they're thinking to reframe um, their anxiety? Yeah. So um, I work from a cognitive behavioral lens um, where I help kids. Everything is based on what I call the TFB triangle. So we look at our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and how they all interact. Um, so Using that as a framework with kids, you don't have to be a therapist to do it, um, helping them identify their thoughts, their feelings, and then how it's impacting their behaviors, um, and then helping them learn those, you know, regulation skills that we talked about. Um, so, you know, being able to teach some relaxation skills, breathing, guided imagery, progressive muscle relaxation, those things are extremely helpful. That is good advice for adults as well, mm -hmm. I must say. I think we can all take a page out of that book. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back right after this. WVIA presents a Mind Over Matter Minute. Hi, I'm Dr. Kylie Oleski from Geisinger. At some point, more than half of us have struggled with a mental health disorder. Misconceptions about mental illness have led people to have negative attitudes toward people with mental health concerns. As a result, many of us have been reluctant to tell people when we're struggling or to seek help from a mental health provider. Needing help is not a sign of weakness, and getting better is not just a matter of thinking positive. Without support or professional help, symptoms often get worse. The more we talk about mental health and admit our own struggles, the better we'll do overcoming stigma. Remember, you are not alone. For more, visit wvia.org forward slash mind over matter or dial 211 to speak with someone who can help. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger. You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and we are talking with Isabella DiBilio. She is a licensed professional counselor and clinical psychology specialist at Geisinger. We are talking about anxiety and depression in children and how the adults in their lives can help them to work through that. Isabella, we talked about anxiety for a bit. Let's talk a little bit more about depression. What does depression look like in young children and how might it be different from the way that it might show up in older kids? Sure. Um, yeah, so depression can look a lot of different ways. A lot of the younger kids, what you'll notice 
is they all of a sudden seem to lose interest in the things that they used to like to do or make them happy. Um, so that's something we notice a lot in kids that's a red flag. Um, so if they, you know, used to love soccer and now all of a sudden they don't want to go to their soccer games and don't want to go to practice, that's definitely a sign that they could be feeling some type of depression. And for older kids, you know, I, I guess, are there um, behavioral kinds of symptoms that you might see that, again, might be mistaken for something else but are actually depression? Yeah, definitely. Um so, you know, one of the things that we notice in kids who are experiencing depression um, is anger and irritability. Um, so they might be really reactive and have more of, you know, a shorter fuse. Um, so that's something that we look out for. Uh, in addition, they may be having some trouble concentrating um, in school. So a lot of times, you know, it's noticed in the classroom that they're not doing well, they're not being able to concentrate, they're not engaged in class, um, and really withdrawn. So that's definitely something that um, the teachers can help parents look out for. You know, I was shocked to read in the CDC report that children as young as three can be struggling with depression. And I'm wondering what some of the causes of that are, particularly in younger children where you might not expect to see it. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say exactly exactly what causes depression and where it comes from. Um, there is a genetic vulnerability there. So, you know, if you have one or both parents who have experienced depression, you're going to be more likely to experience it yourself. Um, personality and temperament have something to do with it. You know, some kids just have a personality that may lend itself, you know, to a lower mood and others not. Um, stressful life events and trauma are definitely um, an indicator that, you know, can lead to depression if if kids have experienced, you know, in their early childhood, stress, trauma um, can definitely impact them as well. Yeah, so it sounds like it can really be a combination of either internal factors, if you're sort of predisposed or wired for it, but also the external stressors that kids can mm -hmm. face. Yes. And of course, you know, the big fear with depression is that it can lead to suicidal thinking or, or actions. And the CDC reports that suicide is one of the leading causes of death for kids ages 10 up to 24. Um, can you talk a little bit about what makes young people particularly vulnerable to suicide, especially like from a brain development perspective? Sure. Yeah. You know, suicidal ideation is something that unfortunately, you know, we see a lot. Um, a lot of times too, this shows itself in non-suicidal non self-injury. Um, so we see a lot of self-harm, suicidal um, thoughts and thinking. And, you know, when you are an adolescent, you are so influenced by everything around you and there is such a pressure to fit, fit in. So developmentally, you know, um, in your teen years, you stop looking for your parents' approval and you start looking for your friends' approval. And that is what matters the most to you. So if kids are looking for that and need that and they're not getting it for whatever reason, um, that can definitely lend itself to, you know, those depressive symptoms, which eventually lead to, um, can lead to suicidal ideation. Yeah, and I think one of the most frightening aspects of all of that is when you hear about the kids who seemingly gave no indication that they were struggling before taking their own life. And I guess for the adults in their lives, how do you 
kind of create a safe space for young people where they can maybe be more vulnerable about their struggles before it's too late? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I always encourage parents, it seems so simple, but I just think we don't do it enough. Talk to your kids and be explicit that this is a safe space for them to share how they're feeling and they do not have to be embarrassed. Um, You know, simply asking questions, you'd be amazed to to see, you know, what kids will share when they're asked. Um, so just, you know, being open to those conversations. And they are uncomfortable, but they're so important. Um, so, you know, at dinner, sitting down and asking your kids, how was your day? And, you know, what was a high point of your day? What was a low point of your day? No, starting to notice some of those patterns. Um, and there are just so many kids who feel like they aren't good enough. And I think that just reminding your children, you know, that not only are you a safe space, but that they're enough um, and that, you know, you are proud of them. You do love them. All of those things. Kids need to hear those things. Um, and I think that sometimes in our busy lives, it's just not being said enough. Yeah, I, it's something that adults struggle with, too, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you then help your young patients who are struggling with depression? What kinds of tools or strategies um, do you use to help put them on the road to feeling better? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we think about the activities and the things that we can do that improve. So some of these things might be, um, you know, things that just make us happy. So listening to music, doing something creative, um, trying a new activity, go outside. Um, Vitamin D is so powerful. I think we forget about that. And I think that during the pandemic, Kids were so used to being inside that they're not going outside as much as they used to. Um, but being in nature has such powerful effects. You know, I I encourage my patients, take a walk outside every day. Um, at some point, fit it in, even if it's 10 minutes, it, it will improve your mood. Um, spending time with friends and family, feeling that connectedness, that's a big piece that we lost during the pandemic too. Um, so encouraging your children to you know, stay connected, um, you know, get involved at school, be part of an activity that really helps. Um, And then other things include, you know, mindfulness, practice yoga, um, meditate, journal, uh, take a hot or cold bath um, and just, you know, be mindful. Doing all of these little things really can make such a big difference when you make it part of your normal routine. So that's what I try to teach uh, my patients is, you know, we can't just do this one day. We have to do it every day and be really intentional about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, we live in a time where, you know, if you're interested in doing meditation and, and growing sort of your mindfulness ability, um, there's lots of apps out there, right, that, you mm-hmm. know, that kids can use to, you know, kind of help them along the way to, you know, being more mindful and kind of settling their mind and stopping the racing sometimes that can lead to anxiety and depression. Yes, definitely. So like the Headspace app is a great one that I recommend a lot. Um, You know, if they are for the younger children who might not have their own devices yet, um, YouTube is a great resource. You know, there are we want to make our time spent on YouTube and in social media positive, like I mentioned before. Um, So there are so many great YouTube channels that are um, that teach mindfulness and teach these skills. One of my favorite is um, GoZen, G-O-Z-E-N. They have um, really easy follow-along videos teaching breathing exercises, progressive muscle relaxation. Um, one of my favorite videos is 478 Breathing by GoZen on YouTube. 
Um, I've shared it with almost all of my patients. Um, and they really, the kids really like it. And something as simple as a breathing exercise can help them feel so much better and get through their day. Yeah. And that's good advice for adults too, because we could all use a little more Zen in our lives for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Isabella, as you well know, there is a big shortage of mental health professionals to deal with the current need that we have. Um, you know, I guess those are, are those the kinds of things that you would recommend that parents do, especially while they're trying to find help for a child who may be struggling in a way that is, you know, that requires professional help? Yeah, you know, I think that parents sometimes don't realize how much they can do at home, um, you know, without having to be a mental health professional. Um, you can do social emotional learning with your child at home. Um, there is so many resources. I mean, a quick Google search can get you a, just a world of resources, worksheets, activities, videos. Um, so while, yes, you know, there are wait lists almost everywhere at this point um, for, you know, children to get mental health support. And so while you are in that waiting period, there is so much that you can do at home and also utilizing the resources at school. Um, You know, utilize their school counselor, reach out. That's why they're there. Um, You know, so many schools now have school-based behavioral health programs where they actually have therapists in the school. Um, So ask about those resources, ask for support, um, and you can definitely get it while you're waiting to, you know, hopefully get connected to a therapist. Yeah, lots of resources out there. You just got to ask for them and and look around to find them. Isabella DeBilio is a licensed professional counselor and clinical psychology specialist at Geisinger. Isabella, thank you so much for making the time to have this conversation with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an important topic. I'm Tracy Matisak. You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. For more information on this and other mental health topics, check out our website at wvia.org slash mindovermatter. Thanks for listening. See you next time. WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance, we're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy. 